0: i'm joel shetler your host and editor of finance and commerce minnesota's oldest business newspaper and online publication thanks so much for joining me this special episode of beyond the skyline features a panel discussion on child care across minnesota child care is in crisis panelists look at the latest national and state data and take part in a free-flowing conversation about the challenges the industry faces and the solutions being implemented to address this critical issue. Topics discussed include the short and long term future of the childcare industry, childcare deserts, which are not just a metro issue, and the direct impact childcare plays in the economic health of our state, especially now as COVID 19 has presented a serious blow to the Minnesota economy. The panelists were Chad Dunkley. Chief Executive Officer of New Horizon Academy, Rob Grunwald, Economist with the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis, Deborah Morawski, President of Affiliated Insurance Services, and Suzanne Pearl, Minnesota Director of First Children's Finance. Our wide-ranging conversation took place via Zoom on December 3rd. Good morning, everyone. I'm Joel Shatler. I'm the editor of Finance and Commerce and Minnesota Lawyer. Uh, today we're going to have a wonderful conversation about an important issue, uh, child care in crisis. Um, there's so many different ways to look at this issue, and we're going to try and examine uh, many of them here today. So thank you for joining me. Um, we're going to have a, a, a conversation. Each of the panelists will start by briefly with some remarks and then we'll get into a conversation but we will watch too for chats and questions so you can have those uh, and we'll get to those as well um, so again i appreciate you all joining us this morning i look forward to a wonderful conversation um, the participants in our panel today i'll eat in the Excuse me. I'll introduce them but then they will each uh, speak first too. But our participants today are uh, Chad Dunkley, he's the chief executive officer of New Horizon Academy, Rob Grunwald, an economist for the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis, Suzanne Pearl, the Minnesota director of First Children's Finance, and Debbie Morowski, president of Affiliated Insurance Services. So Let's just dive right in. Um, Let's start with our opening remarks. Um, Chad, do you want to go ahead and start um, to talk a little bit about uh, the subject that we're going to be discussing today?
1: Yes, Joel, thank you. And thank you for taking up this important subject. I thought I would just start by kind of laying the, the groundwork before the pandemic of the crisis that this country in Minnesota faces with child care. Uh, you know, before this pandemic, 51% of Americans lived in a child care desert. Uh, many child care deserts exist here in Minnesota, both rural and urban. And so this is a national crisis before we got into this situation. And what's interesting, you know, Rob, we have an economist here about the typical supply and demand isn't working in childcare. As a matter of fact, since 2007, the nation has lost about 11% of its childcare providers. And I wanna talk about that for a minute. It's really because most consumers, parents of young children, truly cannot afford the cost of high quality care. And providers who have not been able to raise their costs or tuition to reflect the new standards and expectations for early childhood providers have left because wages have really been pushed downward uh, or or certainly not increasing. And so the industry's lost lots of talent, lots of wonderful providers over these years. And, you know, the big change in early childhood uh, is it's not just custodial anymore. And I don't wanna say that uh, supporting parents uh, when they go to work with childcare is still an important part of what we do, but it's also about the brain research. It's about young children, preparing them for the future. We've learned a lot in the last 10, 20 years. I know Rob talks about this all the time, but 90% of the brain develops by age five. The quality of the experiences of young children have lifelong impacts, whether they're positive or negative. We have to do this right, we only get one chance. And unfortunately, as a society, we haven't caught up with the research. We decide as a public that we're not going to invest substantial resources in supporting a child's education till they walk into the public school system. And that's a mistake. It's been a mistake that society has made. Um, And so it leaves us with a broken economic model. And one of the other things I think it's really important as we get started, we're not going to make childcare cheaper. It's already out of, it's already unaffordable for most families, but the truth is we're gonna have to raise the cost. We gotta keep pushing up early education wages for early educators. We're expecting them to go back to school, to get college degrees, to learn a lot more uh, about how to to best care for children. And the only real way, and by the way, it's already too expensive for most families. The federal government said no family should pay, use more than 7% of their income to pay for childcare. What does that mean in Minnesota? If you need to use a childcare center in the Twin Cities and you have an infant and a preschooler, you pay more than 7% of your income for childcare unless you make over $400,000 a year. Many families, moderate and low-income families are left out of being able to truly afford what their children need and what makes them feel confident to be good employees. You don't want your children in somewhere that's not high quality. And you know this idea, can we make it cheaper? No. The biggest cost in early childhood is the fact that we have small ratios, which is based on the research of adult-child interaction. That's how children learn and grow at young, younger ages. And child care is a service that serves the working families. Our schools are open 12 and a half hour days, 52 weeks a year. And so you either have to choose one of the two. You raise the ratios or you shrink the hours if you really want to impact the cost of care or you pay people less, which we cannot do. It's bad as it is. And people often wonder, why is that? compared to public school or or higher ed? Well, it's pretty easy. Our financing model is different. With public schools, you can have 24 to 30 children with one adult in a classroom. Those classrooms serve families about 1,000 hours a year. Our full-time families use 2,200 hours a year. And when you start as a baby, you can never have more than four babies per adult. And that classroom is staffed for 12 and a half hours a day. So the realities are the financing doesn't work right here. And we can't we can't increase ratios and do this well. And I know that there are a lot of people that talk about let's cut regulations, that's how we're gonna make childcare cheaper. There are some inconvenient regulations that could be more provider friendly. None of them will dramatically change the cost of care unless we actually destroy it by increasing ratios, go back to just being custodial, or we shrink the hours and that doesn't work for families. So there was a crisis in this country and I I know we wanna get to the pandemic well before this happened. So thank you for taking on the subject today, Joel.
0: Great. Thanks so much for that, Chad. Um, Suzanne, I wonder if you want to go next and introduce yourself and talk about this issue briefly from your perspective.
2: Sure. Thanks, Joel and and everyone. Uh, My name is Suzanne Pearl. I'm Minnesota Director of First Children's Finance. For those of you who may not be familiar with our organization, we are a Minnesota-based nonprofit who works nationally Focusing on the business side of child care, we work directly with providers, individual uh, child care providers, both uh, centers and family child care providers. We work with communities on assessing their supply, what is the, their need in their community, and helping to um, helping them elicit right size solutions to uh, have. the the appropriate amount of childcare in their communities. And we also work at the systems level with uh, different state governments. Um, I just want to say, Chad, thank you for everything you just said. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All of that is true and right. And it very much in our experience. Um, If I can add just a little bit of information um, to that, maybe from the the family provider side. Uh, We did some research a few years back and the average family child care provider is able to pay themselves out of their business about eight dollars an hour these are 12 13 hour days and so the the wage issue exists both in centers and and family programs um when we talk about the supply of child care you know there has been a lot of discussion about people being you know leaving the profession DHS has come up, the Minnesota Department of Human Services has released some information you know, on what the levels have been over the years. And it, it's been pretty consistent. And that makes sense given the demographics of, of who a lot of uh, childcare providers are. What we're missing is people are not entering the profession. And I think that gets to the wage issue, that gets to um, the profitability for owning a childcare business. Uh, childcare businesses have very small margins. Um, We talk, we work with a lot of centers in greater Minnesota, and it is, you know, almost impossible for, let's say, a typical 57 seat uh, childcare center to make a profit, even at 100% enrollment. Um, We often find our centers working at 85% enrollment, and, you know, a lot of that uh, speaks to the ratios that, that Chad talked about before. It's just not possible to have 100% enrollment because kids don't all have the birthday on the same day of the year. So you have to leave slots available in different age groups in different classrooms in your center. And so 100% 100 enrollment is a difficult difficult goal to reach. It's nearly impossible. So when we work with uh, childcare providers, we talk about enrollment management, enrollment projection, and how can they maximize any revenue or profit potential um really they're for for uh, child care centers they're just you know it's staffing and facilities and and that's you know about 90 percent of their costs are fixed there there's not there aren't many levers they can pull to to change the the cost of their program um so I, and i know we're going to get into uh the COVID issue so maybe i'll just leave it there and thank you for your time
0: okay great Thank, thank you for that, Suzanne. Um, all right, well, I wonder if we could move on. And uh, Debbie, I wonder if you might have a few opening remarks as well. Oh, I think you're muted. Okay, there you go. <laughs> you're good.
3: Okay. Um, I bring a different perspective to the table, I actually bring the emotion. Uh, you know, insurance, you, you tend to be part of the real after guy, And so I hear a lot of what they're all going through before covid yet, and since covid And um, as, as Chad and Susanne both said, it, it's, tough, it's tough to find good staff. It's tough to keep staff um, The The wage piece is huge. The ratio is also a huge piece, but like Jack so said, you don't want to change the ratio because then it's going to be much more than these. piece of money, mean, not allowing you to actually work with her. Um, I've, got, I've got one gal who says that she's actually an in-home provider and she is a 24-7, so she's going to be to get this shift throughout the entire work day. Um, and she is licensed for 14 and now she's down to some of the 68 children because some of the people are no longer employed or they're working for help so that's why her income down. Um, yet she's still willing to work with some of those kids and, and have them come in even though she's not able to good paid because she wants to work with them from their own going and running through this process. Okay. It, it's tough. I, I, I think the emotional piece for the provider and the children is to, be right? I to do the section. Um, okay. I'm just what else i will just going to get a little second straight to that. It, it okay. Or, I mean, hard, you know, I mean, some of them are formed from a hundred and
0: 20 children, 12. Okay. Um, well, thank you for those comments, Debbie. We're having a little hard time hearing you. So I, th- I think, can you maybe check your microphone? It might not be taking uh, mm-hmm. audio from your microphone. That's okay. We'll, while you look at that, uh, I appreciate those comments. Thank you, Debbie. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe while you check your microphone real quickly, maybe we could hear from Rob and have Rob share his thoughts, uh, initial thoughts, uh, before we get into our discussion.
4: Um. Great. Uh, well, thanks, Joel, and it's, and thanks for hosting this conversation. Um, you know, it's, uh, I appreciate hearing from Chad and, and Debbie and Suzanne. So in terms of opening comments, i give you a, just a little background about myself. I work in the Community Development Department of the Minneapolis Fed just one of the 12 reserve banks in the country. And together with the Board of Governors in Washington, DC, the community development function of the Federal Reserve addresses a number of of issues that communities face. Um, Our particular reserve bank focuses on housing, uh, community investment issues, and early childhood issues. So our work in early childhood at the bank uh, started over 15 years ago uh, with Art Rolnick and myself. Uh, Art was our Director of Research at the Minneapolis Fed for a number of years. And we recognize as we, we turn to childcare, as, as Chad mentioned, it's a two generation impact on uh, workforce development and the economy. Um, first, the presence of affordable and reliable childcare provides important workforce infrastructure It allows parents to enter the workforce and be productive at their jobs. And research shows that parents with young children may reduce their hours or stay out of the labor force altogether if they don't have access to childcare. And furthermore, if the arrangements they choose are unreliable, it can reduce workforce productivity and increased employee turnover, which results in costs for both businesses and families. Uh, before the pandemic, there were, there were some studies that measured this economic impact of inadequate childcare options at the state level, one um, also at the national level. And these studies consistently found that households with young children lost income uh, due to inadequate childcare options, businesses faced higher costs and taxpayers accrued less revenue. Uh, at the Minneapolis Fed, our our westernmost uh, state in our district is Montana, and we helped support uh, a survey study there. We found in in this state, which is on population size smaller than Minnesota, uh, that in 2019 they lost 145 million dollars uh, due to missing work uh, and switching from full time work to part-time work or turning down a job offer because of inadequate childcare options. And businesses lost $55 million due to lower employee productivity and higher turnover rates and taxpayers lost $32 million. So we'd expect uh, to see even larger losses in a, in a larger state like Minnesota. And in terms of the two-generation impact, as, as Chad mentioned, the importance of quality and what we are providing uh, young children is a key part of receiving that, that large societal return on investment. Um, since 2003, we have been investigating this economic return and we recognize that uh, the early years are a sensitive period for development and what happens at our child care centers can help and uh, family child care programs can help support that development. When we look at uh, long-term studies, you know, one that I'll mention is the Abecedarian Project In North Carolina, which is a high-quality birth-to-five program for disadvantaged children, um, it has achieved a 13% annual return on on investment adjusted for inflation, which is about twice the return to the stock market over a long time horizon. They found that children performed better in school. Uh, As adults, they earned more in the workforce. They paid more in taxes and committed less in crime. Um, So as we, as we turn our discussion to the pandemic, you know, a lot has changed from that baseline scenario of where we saw labor markets tightening, the demand for childcare increasing, the emphasis on quality uh, focused uh, prior to the pandemic. So we have, we'll have a lot to say, you know, from here. So thanks a lot, Joe. Great.
0: Thank you for that. Thank you for those opening comments. Well, we certainly got a lot to talk about. Um, certainly the pandemic has had an effect. Um, that? Before we dive in, I'd like to encourage, I see people asking questions on the chat line, so keep doing that and we'll get to those as well. Um, so before we move to specifically the COVID and its impact on ch- child childcare, okay. I thought first we might just kind of give a talk about the lay of the land, so to speak, for people out there who might not be as familiar with the child care crisis as we're talking about um, supply and affordability. I wonder if we could just expand on a few comments that Chad had early on and just lay it out there for people who just might not have their heads around exactly what some of the issues are. And then we can get into the pandemic and other things, too. Um, So I'd like to just kind of throw it out there for anybody. can you kind of define where we are with that in where we, um, when you're talking about the lack of supply and affordability, can you kind of further flesh out that problem? Uh, Maybe that's Chad, anybody else too? um, Just kind of define it for some people.
1: I'd be happy to start, Joel, I kind of mentioned it in the beginning, we really, uh, the private market, it's hard to step up when consumers can't afford uh, the cost of quality. And many times people wonder another way to put early childhood, it's not really how much it costs, it's how much families need. When you need something 50 hours a week and you start to look at, you know, dividing that by 200, 300, $400 a week, you're often paying your child provider less than you pay a babysitter at home. Uh, when you're out on a Friday night watching a movie, and and one of the other you know dramatic issues for families, families who are having young children are early in their income cycle. They have nine months to plan for the most expensive childcare, infant care. You have eighteen months to plan for college, and many of us struggle with that. Um, and so, really, we this is an area of public good that parents and consumers on their own can't do without some assistance, and that is where government steps in and there are a lot of models out there. Minnesota has some innovative models. There's just not enough money in the models to support enough families so we can get rid of this childcare crisis. And I, an example of a place that's done this extremely well, Quebec was worried about its labor participation rates and they created almost universal childcare, affordable. Most families pay $8 a day. Their labor partic- participation rate for women went from under 70% to over 85%, the highest in the world. There's an opportunity here to take some state dollars and really invest in a way that makes Minnesota an outlier, recognizing the struggles that young families have, but Childcare is different than public education. You need the flexibility. Our communities all look different. In greater Minnesota, family childcare is many times the best option. Sometimes it's the school district. Sometimes it's childcare centers. Some families work overnight. So there's some good things, but there's models. Rob helped pilot scholarship models and other things. But we have to recognize most consumers can't afford it and they need help right away. They can't wait for tax credits when they have to pay $400 a week for an infant and wait a whole year. So there are ways to do this, but the consumer is doing the best they can and they simply can't afford it. And that's why family child providers in greater Minnesota are paying themselves less than minimum wage working 13 hour days because families can't afford those tuition rates to go up.
0: Okay. Yes,
2: just jump in there. And and I would say thanks again, Chad, for that. And one of the one of the things that I would encourage everybody on this call to think about is, you know, often we think of child care as a human service, a social service. It's in that HHS category. I would encourage everybody to also put this directly in economic development, because to what Chad was just talking about. If people don't have access to child care, they're not going to go to work. And what we have run into over the past few years with a pretty strong robust economy, robust employment, all of a sudden a a relationship that exists between the parents and the providers is having an impact on everybody else, on employers, on communities, on the economy at large. And I will just say full disclosure, I'm not a parent, I'm not a provider, but I have an interest in ensuring a robust, healthy economy with as full participation as possible. And that means getting people to work if they wanna work and they need childcare to do that. So I I think that, you know, Chad has done a great job of um, talking about how the cost of childcare is so much is borne by the parents when really the rest of us have not only um, have a responsibility to participate in, in helping bear those costs because we benefit from them.
0: Yeah, was there a time and um, that Minnesota really did stand out as kind of a leader as far as childcare in years past? But then we've kind of slipped away from that, and we can talk about maybe why that is the case. But just to get our heads around kind of where we are, is that true? And I think Chad, we had a prior conversation about that, but how. Minnesota led the way in, in a lot of respects to childcare in years past, but.
1: We, uh, we, we did Joel. Uh, in 2003, we were one of the best states for helping up to middle income families with childcare assistance. We helped families through 300% of federal poverty level on a sliding fee scale pay for child care. At that time, too, we had reimbursement rates that gave families real choices in their community. Minnesota, you know, was facing a huge deficit back then. You know, almost everything was cut. But for some reason, this this issue has never had enough champions in the legislature to get that repaired. I don't think it's intentional. Unfortunately, I just think we get lost with other priorities Uh, and, and Minnesota was so out of compliance with the reimbursement rates that gave families, lowest income families only, choices in their community that we were about to be fined and lose federal dollars for reimbursement rates and only when we were backed against the wall with losing federal dollars did we actually finally increase rates. So yes, there was a day we helped a lot more families and when families got help, they had real choices in their community, That's the Minnesota we need to get back to. That's what made us a special place to raise kids, is that support. And I know we weren't supposed to go to questions, but one question I think was really good. Senator Kiffmeyer, who's worked on these issues for a long time asked, what are the work participation rates in the US? Mm -hmm. And it's a really scary one. As a matter of fact, I have that. In September of this year, the work participation rate by women in the workforce is 55.6%, the lowest since 1987. It's dropped dramatically in September. Uh, eight hundred and sixty five thousand women left the labor force eighty percent of those who left the labor force in september are women now we know child care is one of those issues we know distance learning of elementary students is another they can't be unsupervised uh, at home uh, just like young children you know we we can say parents should keep their three-year-olds home when uh, they're they're home for the pandemic but in reality three-year-olds need full-time supervision and interaction i can a brief story we had a family who was trying to stay home, a mom and dad, uh, parents at our Best Buy corporate school. Uh, Their two twin boys just turned three years old. Their Zoom calls overlapped. And in that 15-minute overlap, when when mom got off the phone, one three-year-old was on top of the refrigerator digging in a snack Basket, And the other was behind the seat of the car, trying to turn the car on because he wanted to go somewhere. I mean, child care is needed by not just essential families, which is a priority. It's needed by all families. Young children, if you don't work, you can be a great stay at home parent and give your child what they need. But if you're working, it's too much to expect on our young parents.
0: Yeah. And if I could throw in a stat there, I guess I like stats too. <laughs> the, a, a, 4.5 million fewer women are employed in October uh, than there were a year ago in our workforce. I saw that at figure too. And I thought that was interesting too. Um, um, it probably makes us go into what COVID effect had an effect on childcare as well. And I thought, you know, I could start with a couple other pieces of data just to throw it out there as well. According to the Census Bureau, A third of the working women ages 25 to 44 years old who are unemployed, uh, a third of them said that childcare demands were the reason for that. Um, Only 12% of unemployed men cited those demands. And as you said, it hits women um, more than it does um, men in this, too. I'm just going to throw it out there, too. It seems a a rather obvious question, but um, COVID has really thrown a wrench into uh, childcare from many different perspectives, from both uh, people being at home uh, and working at home, but also on providers. So let's start with the effect that COVID has had on uh, healthcare supply or childcare, excuse me, childcare centers and such. Does anyone wanna pick it up and just kind of talk a little bit about the effects that this pandemic has had?
1: I hate to hog. I don't mind. You don't mind a provider perspective, real quick, <laughs> oh, yes. and I'll try to be quiet. <laughs> okay. But I, I think it's important people hear really how bad this was for childcare providers. So uh, New Horizon Academy served served over ten thousand Minnesota children uh, in, every day in, in mid March. By the first week of April, we dropped our, our t- attendance dropped to twenty two hundred. We had to furlough two thirds of our early educators. We had to tell all of our landlords we have to put rent on hold until we know we can survive this. All of our officers immediately worked for free, went with no salaries, reduced management salaries. I mean, it is the first time in our 50 years we're a family owned company that started in 1971. We thought it was over. And Minnesota really showed that it can be incredible in support of its providers. As a matter of fact, Minnesota was the first state in the country to provide childcare grants uh, to providers, knowing this is too essential. Doctors and nurses have little kids, those who stock our grocery store shelves, so many workers who never had the option to stay home couldn't go to work. And so, but that was true in the four states. I operate in four states with 90 schools. They all de- 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 deemed us essential, asked us to stay open. We had to take many extra precautions to make sure that we didn't have COVID spreading in our classrooms from small group sizes and other things. But but it was amazing. These child care grants really helped. And then because the, the pandemic lasted longer than we thought, the governor took some additional CARES funding directed it towards child care providers. So today, Minnesota sits in a healthier place than the rest of the country. In Iowa, where I have four schools, a recent report came out and said, Iowa's lost 50% of its childcare providers. Though it was one of the number one states in a childcare desert before this pandemic, Minnesota will be so much better positioned because we've supported our providers. What's worrisome, of course, that funding has run out. And I know we've heard a lot of things about Congress needing to step up, but that's really where we need to get to. But I sure hope that we can find a way to keep those grants coming until Congress does its work. But it's been devastating on providers. One other thing, Joel, you should know. At the very same time our revenues have dropped, the cost of caring for kids under the safety precautions that we're running in classrooms are up 31%. And that's research based on the Early Care and Education Consortium that I'm co-chair of. We represent 6,500 centers in 48 states. It costs more to care for kids, and you have far fewer of them. It's an economic catastrophe without some supports until we get through this.
4: I can so, I can build yeah. just a little bit on what uh, what Chad was mentioning. Um, you know, as as we were observing the markets, we recognized before the pandemic that you know many childcare providers are operating on thin margins due to the the necessity of the labor costs and providing. Childcare care. And so nothing about the pandemic has reduced the cost of providing child care. It is, it is a number of costs have increased. So if we look at, you know, costs in terms of increased health and safety costs around sanitization, there's more labor intensive child pickup and drop off procedures of child care. Operators also need to hire substitute teachers and pay for sick leave and any any provider that's been exposed to COVID-19 has had to deal with all of the challenges of having to close classrooms, be out of business for a couple weeks, try to restart up again, which is uh, very disruptive. The the largest cost uh, by far is the necessity of having smaller group sizes and and we recognize that when you as Chad mentioned early on that when you reduce a group size uh, you're reducing your revenue you still have the same amount of expenses and looking at Minnesota it, it's some more of a typical statewide uh, look around toddler classrooms and uh, preschool classrooms that on a per child basis those costs uh, essentially go up about 300 dollars per child per month It's about $2,000 for a toddler classroom, about $2,500 for a preschool classroom. And just to build on on Chad's comments too about government assistance is that uh, with the pandemic, we've recognized how important this industry is. We would not have a a, a large sector of our first responders of our healthcare workers being able to go to work um, because they need to have childcare uh, for their young children. And Minnesota has been, above uh, many of the other states. It's one of only 14 states that has used some of the funding that states have received through the Coronavirus Relief Fund uh, to provide to childcare providers. And we recognize that this has been helpful. More is needed. And uh, we're watching very closely to see what, what happens here in Congress over the next few weeks.
2: Um, yeah. Can I just jump in? Yep. And, and I, I feel like at, at this point, I we need to bring up um, issues of equity that have been exposed and highlighted by this situation. And and I agree with both Chad and Rob that Minnesota did a fantastic job of responding, responding with financial supports for providers. And that has made just a huge difference um, for the financial position of these businesses and for their ability to withstand um, drops and and, um, variables in enrollment and their revenue. Um, But, we do know that between not the, the first round of, of state supports and as well as some of the PPP loans and some of the other federal supports that came in, providers of color were not able to access those funds at the same rates. Um, and I, I think you know we knew that these inequities existed, but this was just exposing them a little bit more. And when we talk about essential workers, you know, many of those are women of color, many of those are low-income women. And so I, I just want to make sure that in our conversation that we're that we're keeping our eye on that uh, as well as we talk about the childcare system as a whole.
0: Yes. That is an important issue. Um, so it seems like we're just kind of walking that tightrope. Um, you know, we're we're out now, people are at home uh uh childcare facilities aren't getting the dollars aren't getting the use and that just puts extra strain on an already strained system um i it, you know i wonder w- what happens then as we prepare to enter the workforce again and we don't have these facilities and it goes to the bigger issue of you know it's a workforce issue like you said Suzanne um you know one more statistic that just kind of gives us the lay of the land, too. That I found uh, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics said that there um, were 853,000 workers in childcare um, right now. Um, that's below a million more than uh, it's missing a million workers than were there a year ago, um, just to kind of give it that perspective. So, um, great. Uh, does anyone else have any comments about the subject that we we're talking about, just in COVID in general and its effect on child care providers and this in a broader perspective? Um, Debbie, did you have thoughts or anything? I want to make sure you are brought into our conversation too. <laughs> um, I, I, I do know that when a
3: center has to close because me, that's devastating. Most of the people can recover from that, so the lack of business income again becomes a big problem. And it, it's been hard. It's been driving. hard. It's becoming more. I, I see the I see the calls come through as the waves become larger, and right now I, I'm probably getting hit daily.
0: Okay. All right. Thanks, Debbie. Um, I'm going to jump to some questions that are on the subject kind of that we have been talking about. Um, One that came into and we talked about getting the state and federal legislators to fund childcare as an essential service, Um, seeing it as a bigger picture. um, How do we How do we do that? And you've already started to answer some of these things too, but how do we get the state and federal legislators to fund childcare in a way that's equitable for everyone? uh, In this time where budgets are strained anyway, Um, I know that's a broad open ended question, but I'll throw it out there. Um, Does anybody have any thoughts about that? Maybe Rob, do you want to start there? with your perspective too from the fed
4: well you know from the federal reserve perspective to be clear you know we we provide yeah. research yeah. and information so we don't directly no, no, you know no. lobby but <laughs> but I, I will say just just being involved with the issues around child care for a number of years is that you know recognizing that um, you know child, children first of all don't vote uh, they don't have a, a direct say in the situation. Um, but I think it's over time, it's been very important to provide data and facts about how uh, childcare supports the current workforce parents and what the economic costs are if we don't. And then also the impact of quality of childcare on children, especially children from our lower income families so that we are able to make sure that they're, they're supported in their development, that all of these investments have a return, if they're not investments that we are just gonna see you know, going out in terms of a generous uh, stipend to a family, we actually see a return to government. We can actually save money when we spend these resources well. And in Minnesota, you know, data show that among lower income families, there's about 35,000 or more children who are below the age of, of five who would benefit uh, from receiving support either through the childcare subsidy system or through the early learning scholarship system here in the state, that would that would have this type of strong return on investment.
0: Okay. Um. Chad, do you have any thoughts on that topic? On that question
1: about. I, I- I do, Joel, yes. And, you know, I really think this is something Congress needs to do. It's going to be really expensive. It's a huge initiative. It's a national problem. Uh, I think Minnesota can do some things to make us an outlier and do better than the states around us, make us a better place to raise kids than other parts of our region. But it's such a big number and a big job. There are a number of presidential candidates, including uh, President-elect Biden, Who have talked about making childcare affordable, basing the cost of childcare based on families paying 7% of their income and having financial supports that cover the rest of that. Some concept like that, some families can afford more based on a family's income could have a dramatic impact on what families can do to stay in the workforce and have the childcare their child needs to thrive. But it, it, it's such a big number. I think it's gonna to be too much for states to take on. They have a lot of financial challenges coming up, but Minnesota is an innovator. I mean, we have one of the most innovative pre-K programs in the country called Early Learning Scholarships. It recognizes the unique communities that our state has, whether urban or rural or suburban. What it says is families still get choice in, this set, in a setting, based on the hours they need to support their work, as long as the setting's quality. uh, And it's really innovative. It gets a lot of worldwide attention. That's a model we can expand. We can expand that to infants and toddlers, because that's really where a family makes a financial decision. Am I gonna stay home or am I gonna work? because that's where the huge expense comes in. So there are plenty of models out there. And yes, Minnesota can do more if it had better reimbursement rates, raised income eligibility in its child care assistance program, like it used to do. So we didn't have this huge cliff effect, but just as families are doing everything we as Minnesotans would want them to do, as soon as they tip $1 over in a week, they lose all their child care assistance and are back at ground zero. There are a lot of system improvements that can be made. But these are big dollars we're talking. I really think it's pressure on our congressional delegation to not let this issue go away. This pandemic brought it to everyone's mind. It's in every major newspaper, newscasts. I mean, even I've been interviewed by by Wall Street Journal. never thought so. I didn't wish a pandemic to have that happen. But the issues are huge uh, for our country and it's smart. Other countries that have forgotten or ignored this issue had declining birth rates. The US has had declining birth rates for three years. Last year was the lowest in 50 years. If we don't increase our birth rates, our economy will look nowhere near like it does today. So there are a lot of issues intertwined here, but it's a big job.
0: Thank you for that. Thank you.
1: Um,
0: Suzanne, did you have any extra thoughts too as far as...
2: Yeah, the only thing that I'll add to that is, is, um, watch the next few months. Um, as we've talked about, Minnesota has been really responsive. The state of Minnesota has been very responsive in using some of these dollars to support for direct supports to childcare providers. That ends at the end of this year. And we hear from so many providers who are just in a wait and see. I don't know what's gonna happen next month. I don't know if I can make January, February, March. I don't know if I can make it, You know, I, when, how am I gonna make my January payroll? So I, I think that without you know what's happened, we've we've had some stabilization in the childcare sector due to those financial supports. Once those are taken away, and wouldn't it be a tragedy if all of these, if if once those goes away, childcare starts uh, shutting down and we start losing more centers and losing more programs just when the economy needs to bounce back up? I think that would be a, you know kind of shooting ourselves in the foot. So. Um, but, I, you know, I think others have said that it's, it's you know, really going to depend on federal dollars. You know, I know the state isn't in that great of a position to do that, but um, I, I think the message needs to go to whoever needs to go to now as we're looking, you know, this close to the end of 2020.
0: Um, I know we don't have a crystal ball, but how do you, how much longer do you think some of these providers, like what you just had to say, Suzanne, is how long can they last with this? shut down, you know, hanging on until things get back to quote unquote normal again.
2: I think a lot of that is going to depend on the market where they are. Um, mm-hmm. We are particularly concerned about child care centers in greater Minnesota who don't have a, a, as diverse of a, 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 a group of parents to draw from, a group of, you know, families to draw from. Um, and, you know, we're hearing from people who have, you know, tried to refinance um to stay in business and some of those you know what they've had to agree to to do that that's coming due it's you know i think it's really going to be variable um uh depending on geographic location and who they're serving
3: okay thanks
0: um when things you know come back again start to open up again too there is um some questions and i'm combining a bunch of questions into one here but there are questions of two things one do you think they'll be facing added regulations with having to um, you know meet these standards that have come about because of the virus and one will that add cost and then two just how do we attract people to work in this uh, field when wages are are as they are and, and with all these added costs coming on due to restrictions just due to whatever does that keep the issue of low wages from being addressed too uh, I'm throwing a lot I'm mixing a lot of questions in one <laughs> um, but uh, just thought I'd throw that out there too so, Suzanne do you have I want to take that first <laughs> <You can. laughs> I called you out there
2: <laughs> but uh, I, I know I'm combining a lot of stuff,
0: but um, maybe we can simplify it too and just talk about regulations first when those come out are those going to add costs um, to for these providers um, will it make uh, well go ahead you can answer that anyway you'd like.
2: <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah it's that's, you know, it's a huge question and it's a huge question that um, is, it, it, there's not an easy answer because, okay, so how how much regulation is the right amount of regulation and that is not something that <laughs> I think I'm going to want to answer and I think everybody on this call, all 165 attendees I'm looking at are, are going to have different answers. Um, what I think we can do, one of the things that we're seeing interestingly enough here, we do have, we are getting inquiries with people who are interested in opening childcare businesses. Um, and that's been consistent through the pandemic. Um, many of them are people who might've been laid off or furloughed and are watching their friends and neighbors struggle with you know, either working from home and their kids or their kids are out of school. So what can they do? Um, but, but how do we make this um, an attractive business to get into? Um, and I'm not sure I have a silver bullet answer to that. Um, I think some of the things that Chad has mentioned before about, um, you know, spreading the costs of the, you know, a cost across who actually benefits from childcare um, makes a lot of sense here, and that's going to involve uh, state and federal input.
0: Anyone else want to talk about? that subject i know it's a complicated subject too but as far as regulations adding cost and then to what we're talking about attracting people to the to the field
1: Joel, you know i'm happy to talk this is the constant challenge of providers what we charge families and what we can pay teachers i know as a family a number of years ago we had to make a decision. Are we gonna to try to stay as affordable as we can and serve as many families? Or are we gonna work aggressively to raise wages, bring health insurance, other benefits to our employees? And we decided we gotta be proud of every classroom every day. We gotta believe that the children in our care, are we're meeting the promises to those families about what they need. And we're far from where I wanna be. But when I hear wages like $8 an hour for family childcare, and this is research-based, I know, you know there was a men- mention in the comments that family child care providers make enough and it's a non-issue that's not the facts there may be a few family ch- child care providers that are able to charge more and do but the research shows that's not true the research shows family child care providers make eight dollars an hour work 13 hours a day in greater minnesota and that's well below minimum wage that's why they're leaving the industry it's really sensitive but i know a while ago we did that And I think my average teacher wage may be up to $18 an hour. I want it to be twice that, but it's 50% higher than the average wage of childcare centers in the state of Minnesota. And I'm proud of that and I wanna do better. I mean, at some point we we have to choose, are you gonna go down to keep it affordable or do what's right for kids and let the funding catch up? I mean, we have to do something about this industry. We can't expect people to get four-year degrees in early education and work for $10 an hour. It isn't right. And we need people to stay children attached to the adults in their life when they're young. Losing an adult you're attached to is painful. Turnover is hard on kids. We have to invest more in this workforce to keep them. And as an employer, I do it all the time. I help pay up to 50% of anyone who wants to get a degree in, in New Horizon. I pay for it. Your first degree, your CDA, 100%. We provide training, other opportunities. Yes, as providers, we're having to grow our own workforce. We're going to high schools and telling them about the amazing work you can do to go into a career of early childhood, doing what we call the ABCs of education. And we have to, it's like, we have to grow our own because the reputation is you get into this workforce and it may be something you absolutely love. But if you need to feed your family and pay your rent, you're not going to be able to stay. And we have to change that. That's why families need more financial support to pay higher tuition rates, so teachers can make more. Okay.
4: Thank I'll, you for that. I'll make just a couple comments about the, you know, the question of regulation. You know, the, as the pandemic arrived, there was a lot of changes. Of course, providers needed to make changes in order to provide a health and safe uh, place for children to come, and that that did require a lot of Changes in terms of protocols and sanitization and and so forth. Uh, There there was also flexibility on the the childcare subsidy uh, policy side in order to be able to keep some funding streams going uh, to providers. And I think with all of the changes, we need to step back and go, what has been supporting uh, quality early care and education for these, these children? What policies do we want to keep potentially Going forward, because all regulation is a trade-off. We want to look at the benefits of the regulation in terms of providing health, safety, quality, and then be honest about what those costs are. You know what what is the cost to a provider to to have those? And you know, the more that we can analyze what benefit we're receiving by a particular protocol or a benefit or, or a regulation, you know, relative to the cost, the better we're going to be able to have a you know more informed discussion.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, one thing that that the legislature's worked hard bringing providers together with licensing, because sometimes it's not about what the regulation is, it's about the training and the way things are enforced. If we have a collaborative relationship with our licensor, and it's looked at as a coaching opportunity instead of I'm coming into your home to catch you doing something wrong. There's an opportunity. There's also an opportunity to to talk about why some regulations sound onerous, but why they're important to the development or safety for children. But in reality, young children should be in a really safe place. There's nothing worse than having your child injured while you're away at work all day. And children should be in a place where teachers have the right kind of training in early childhood and experience to make sure that they're guiding children and giving them what they need. If your brain's developing the fastest at this point in any time in your life, don't you want adults around that know how to make that happen for you and make it, I mean, if we do it wrong, we cause long-term damage to children. Doing it right gives them greater potential and helps them, and it lasts a lifetime. So we got to be really careful about talking about overregulation when, if the idea is to make this cheaper, changing one little licensing standard is not going to do that. But we do have to be careful because some licensors are, I'm catching you doing something wrong, and this is a tough industry. We should be more supportive as a government to say, what you're doing is essential, let me help you meet those regulations. So I think some of that's the problem. And those angry providers get to the Capitol and talk to legislators. And that unfortunately makes legislators believe this is a universal problem. Often it's a communication problem and a relationship problem.
0: Yeah. There was a study in October, you may be aware of it was released. um, Yale researchers did a national survey of uh, childcare employees, 57,000 of them across uh, the country. Um, Jumping to the end, they found that when it's conducted under very strict guidelines that childcare can actually be very safe, that there isn't widespread transmission during this pandemic. So, you know, like you said, the regulations are there, but they work, they keep people safe and, you know, that's why they're there too. I I think that study was interesting um, for people concerned about that. looking at it from the one more pandemic question too we had some questions about this too and there's some other uh, discussion about it too but looking a bit long term maybe again asking everyone to get out their crystal balls a little bit here but do you think there are bigger trends with work at home will that disrupt the child care industry um, how child care is provided as more people look at permanent working at home too um Maybe the answer is no. Won't have any effect either. I'm, I'm just throwing it out there. there were a couple of questions about it. Um, any long-term changes that you see happening just due to societal changes because of the pandemic? Um, and that, again, we're not trying to predict the future here. <laughs> but uh, I just thought I'd put it out there. Um, for
1: well, Joel, that's an interesting one. I, I can tell you a little bit from the national work that I'm doing. There's There's some sense maybe not as many office workers will go into big buildings or office headquarters. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the big movements uh, over the last 20 years have been employers adding on-site care to uh, different places. We've added a number of schools, downtown Minneapolis, to support downtown workers. I think there's some sense that might be soft for a little while, and maybe we won't see as much of that. But like I said earlier, we're not talking about 13 year olds who once they figure out how to distance learn, they can do it mostly themselves. And they may need a break at lunch to get the, you know, whatever it is, the girl cheese sandwich. We're talking two and three year olds. And I know parents are tired. They get tired with young kids because they are so demanding. But the reality is now that we know the research, this brain research, it's fascinating. They need you a lot because that's how their brain develops. It's that interaction with you, the things they want and need from you, They know they need that to to, to grow and thrive. Parents who are working from home, we're asking them to do two very important jobs at the same time that you can't do well when you're doing both. So I don't believe other than maybe the little baby you can rock a little bit and, and feed in between your Zoom calls. It's good for one and a half, two and three year olds to be home while parents are juggling too many things. You know how many parents are trying to make up work at midnight? I mean, it's just crazy the stress we're putting on families right now. But I do think some families are doing it, and they're going to do it for a while. But when when everybody's safe and going back, I think you're going to find a lot of families go back and and want to bring their children into early childhood programs.
4: Okay. Yeah, I would I would agree with with Chad. You know, there's we're going to be watching the trends in terms of how working at home you know continues, or how businesses and organizations you know, look at. Where people work, because uh, there, there's there's going to be changes. Uh, but it's clear that uh, throughout the pandemic, uh, parents with young children who are working at home uh, are showing are saying that this is difficult, and many have taken the choice of even if they're working remotely, uh, that they have sought out childcare and that they have their children uh, somewhere else during the day so that they can be productive while or they're working those hours
1: at home. Okay. And you did mention the Yale study. I think that's had a big impact of comforting parents that we don't have spread in childcare. Uh, from child to child or teacher to child, it's really minimal. And that's because of some of these safety precautions we're taking uh, to protect children. It's, I'm really proud of early educators. But we have noticed over the last few months, which has created more uncertainty for providers, because of community spread, it's coming in because of the community. Teachers are getting it, parents are getting it, classrooms are ending up being closed, not because of spread in our schools necessarily, but because it's from, from outside the community, meaning that when you're closed, you stop, you stop charging families tuition often for those weeks. So the uncertainty for providers has actually grown, uh, even though some families have returned through September it's almost going the other way, which is causing more financial stress out there. But I do think people see providers are doing a darn good job keeping kids healthy. And that fear is is not as great as it was early in the pandemic.
0: Great. Thank you for that. Were you going to say something, Suzanne, too? I didn't want to leave you out. No. Okay.
2: It was Debbie.
0: Okay, Debbie. Okay, sorry.
2: Yeah. I've said a couple things.
3: One of the things is, In in the cost of childcare, I think our values are so messed up. People have more problems spending hundreds of dollars going to a a sporting event, a a movie, a a play, a concert, yet they have a hard time spending the money that needs to be spent for childcare. And part of that is their problem, and part of it is the childcare industry as a whole needs to. Needs to, to blow their own horn and let people realize that they're, they're there working on, on the, the um, mental and emotional and whatever else wealth of that child. And it's, it's, it's a value that, that you bring to the table that nobody else does. And I think it's really important that that's given and you're proud of what you do. And Chad, you're like all over that. You are so proud of what you do, and you should be. And I know a lot of providers just, they don't grow their own and they show. And um, the other thing I wanted to say is, it's really important from the socialization standpoint. Parents working from home, you right it's hard, doing their job, plus trying to keep an eye on the kids. But it's not just keeping them out of trouble. It's socializing. That's what helps them grow so, we need to get them back
0: to the center and the end of- Yes. Thank you for that, Debbie. Um, well, let's just jump into some of the issues. We kind of brushed across them already, but in the time that we have left to just the bigger picture issues, too. Maybe I'll start with Suzanne because I like some of your comments you had to say earlier, too. But um, this is an obvious question. But why is it so important that childcare survives? I mean, there's I could start to answer that myself, actually, as a moderator, just listening to all this expert (laughs) advice. But it's such a-
2: Alphabetically or chronologically? Yeah.
0: (laughs) You go right ahead. But I mean, it seems to have such a multiplier effect, obviously, you know, uh, in economic development even. And in being an attractive Mm -hmm. place, as Chad was saying, to show that Minnesota does these things, um, just from a demographic perspective, to attract people to our state, to say, hey, um, they do it right in Minnesota. It looks like it'd be a great place to work. I mean, it, it affects so many different parts of our economy. I don't mean to take words out of your mouth, but i like to talk you're, about.
2: You're kind of answering your own question. I mean, yes, I would, I did. <laughs> you know, child care is foundational in, in, in so many ways. It's foundational to, to the children in care. It's foundational to our economy. It's foundational to those families and their ability to to work if they want to and if they need to. Um, it's foundational to the childcare business owners. It, it, you know, it. It's hard to find. Um, it's hard to find a sector, an economic sector, that childcare doesn't impact. Um, mm. And and I'm not sure how I can say it much more no. specifically than
0: that. No, I agree. Um, Rob, you might have other analysis too, as far as looking at overall. You know. Um, from your data that you see, but the impact that having proper childcare can have on um, greater economic, you know, impact too. Do you have any perspective you'd like to share?
4: Um, pretty. Well, I think we'll be watched. Sure. Yeah, I think we'll be watching closely at how labor markets develop after you know, the pandemic eases and the 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 extent to which they tighten, as we saw them before the pandemic. Will will drive the impact of adequate child care on businesses and also family income. Um, and So to just to respond to a couple of the questions that I see in the chat, you know, the, the business owners uh, in, do have a stake in this conversation and many have come to the table to point out the importance of, of child care to their own businesses. You know, for example, there's a, a work group uh, called the Child Care Crisis Work Group here in Minnesota includes membership from the state chamber and the Minnesota Business Partnership. And they've been talking about the, the, this dual issue of access to childcare and also the impact that childcare and early care and education as a whole can have on closing the achievement gap once children reach school. Uh, and I think there, there's a number of roles for business people. Uh, one is as they are, as as these are doing, you know, stepping to the table, looking at policy issues. Um, there was a question about you know providing childcare on site. Uh, there there are only a few businesses that do that that have taken that that next large step potentially. Um, those that have, when we talk to them, uh, make the business case for their own rationale for having an on-site childcare in terms of attracting employees and being able to retain employees. So in other words, they're conducting that cost benefit analysis themselves. They're figuring out that this benefit has a positive impact on their staff. Um, it also allows those business leaders who have, who have done this to learn how about the challenges of operating childcare and also gets them interested in weighing in on some of the policy issues. Uh, other ways that businesses can support uh, child care access is even looking at their own employees is there ways that they could help uh, reserve spots uh, within child care spaces uh, especially in rural areas where it's more where it's more difficult to find child care and also even directly helping to support uh, paying for child care and finally uh, you know many businesses are already providing flexibility and also dependent care um, spending accounts which uh, allows tax, pre-tax dollars to be used on childcare. Those are also ways that businesses can get involved.
1: Okay, thank you. I would love to add a comment about importance of why childcare survives. And, and, And there are a lot of ideas about how do we increase supply and what businesses can do too. Happy to add a comment or two there. But I think one of the things we're forgetting is this is now a profession. We have a lot of people who have done this a very long time and being really good at it, it takes some skill and some training and some knowledge. Some industries are worth saving because if you lose all of that institutional knowledge and all of a sudden you wipe out all of these providers who are doing a really good job uh, with kids and you have to start fresh with all new providers who will get good, but it takes a while. This is a profession. Kids are gonna suffer, families are gonna suffer and parents are not comfortable going to work, bringing their child somewhere where their gut says, I don't know if this is good enough. Uh, They don't last long in the workforce. And I think it's those providers who have been doing this a long time. And this is the first hundred year pandemic that made them think this was tough, but I could lose everything in a heartbeat with one of these things. I've remortgaged my home. I've, got, I've got tapped into every financial resource I can. I'm gonna go do something else and never look back. And you know, I think of it as what if the medical profession, all the experienced doctors, all of a sudden at one point said, we're done. I think healthcare would suffer. I think we'd all worry. It's not that young doctors aren't good, but it's nice to have some experienced people around when you're doing really important work. And so we better save those incredible providers today because it's gonna be a long time before we have a strong quality provider network again, if we do lose it. And by the way, those 2,200 workers that had to work in those last, those weeks when this pandemic first happened, they're all doctors and nurses. They're the ones stocking the toilet paper on our grocery store shelves. They're the ones who are transporting food and other things that are essential no matter what. If we lose those now, those those parents aren't gonna work. I think I heard a a third of healthcare workers have kids under five. If we closed, imagine the challenges we'd have with the COVID cases in hospitals without doctors and nurses with kids under five being able to go to work. So it's a save us now, but don't lose us for later. Because when this economy will grow back quickly, it sounds like, but I don't think you're gonna grow the early childhood infrastructure and supply very quickly when it was already tentative, weak and shrinking before this crisis started.
0: Thank you. In the remaining time that we have, I wonder if we could then look at just what we can do now. I mean, we've talked about some need in the very short term about some financial aid that would really help some childcare you know facilities places stay afloat until we you know get back to normal that's been discussed um but more broadly you know how do we save it now how do we make the system stronger in the future too on a uh, more broader level too and we talked about asking legislators to do their fair share talked a little bit about businesses maybe take kicking in something uh, partnerships i don't mean to put words in your mouth but i just thought Where do we go from here? Not only to get through the short term of the pandemic, but also just to make it a stronger system longer term. Um, Anybody want to jump in and start first there? And just the remaining moments that we have. (laughs) Again, I'm asking these really easy questions, just when you have (laughs) two minutes to solve the world's problems.
1: Well, Joel, if you want if you want me to jump in, I, it really yeah. is about helping more families pay for child care
0: yeah. and helping
1: them pay for child care that is really priced at the cost of paying educators high, high enough wages to stay in the industry. It means a lot more supports. Minnesota was a, once a leader. Go back to income eligibility supports that go all the way up through middle income families, give them at the top, it's just a little bit a month that gets them over the top and raise reimbursement rates to a point where if you live in a community, you have real choices of where to bring your family when you're on that program. And then for our higher income families, we need to change tax credits. Our flex spending deduct for childcare has been the same for 30 or plus years, $5,000 a family. It costs 10,000 a child for childcare. So there are lots of strategies that way, but the reality is the whole system can't change till more families have financial support to pay for childcare. A lot can change for the better if that happens.
0: Yeah, I mean, the statistics Uh, show that the pandemic, you know, this pandemic-induced recession here um, has fallen mostly, most heavily on low-income and minority women and single mothers. So ironically, the people who could... Best use, child care help. They're the ones, you know, being affected most by this pandemic recession too. So it makes it even extra important. Anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt. Were you going to say something, Rob?
4: Um, uh, yeah, just to uh, to build on Chad's point that uh, if we can really get support to you know families, especially low to moderate income families, so that they can provide pay for high quality childcare, Uh, You know, the early care and education system, we also wanna make sure it's equitable. To Sam's point earlier, that we're reaching uh, families with children from a variety of backgrounds by race, ethnicity, um, also from our immigrant communities that we're providing service that is reflective of their needs and are providing the quality that all children need.
0: Great. Debbie, do you have any comments? I don't, thoughts?
3: You know, I just saw a, a comment come up that somebody wants, you know, because people do to have a, a job, here. Um, I have to say, and I'm not coming from a child care provider point of view, but I think any time is a good time to give a job, because um, the most underpaid, overworked, and underappreciated industry out there. Um, and as a person who put two children through child care, one with special needs, I don't know what I would have done without good quality. So I, I think it's a confession that you go into not thinking I'm going to make good money, I'm going to make a difference in someone's life, be a child and or a parent, um, and it's a good time to go.
0: All right. Thank you for that. Suzanne? And I'm,
2: I'm just going to say, yeah, I saw that same comment and I would say yes. If you're interested in, you know, getting into child care, yeah. And, and there are organizations like mine that are, that exist to support you. Um, firstchildrensfinance.org. Um, and, and, you know, just go in clear eyed with, with a good business plan, uh, an idea of the program you want to implement, who you're going to market to, who are the families you want to serve. And, you know, and we can help you go through what you're going to need to start up and what it's, you know, what realistically might happen in your first year. Um, And it, you know, right now the timing is weird, because, you know, you know, try to start your new business right when the pandemic's done because there's going to be a lot of business but you know whenever that is we don't know. Um, But I would say if you're well prepared um, and clear eyed about about what this could be. Absolutely.
0: Well, great. Well, I I see we're coming up on the end of our time here. Um, I know we probably could talk another hour about this subject. There's so many different ways to approach it. Thank you so much for the conversation. Uh, I really appreciate it. I've learned a lot just in the hour that we've spoken. So um, thank you and thank you to everyone out there who joined us uh, to listen today. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening and please subscribe to Beyond the Skyline. We can be found wherever you listen to your podcasts. To learn more about finance and commerce, or to subscribe, go to our website, www.finance-commerce.com. I'm Joel Shatler, editor of Finance and Commerce. Thank you again for listening to Beyond the Skyline.